0: Now, just because you can read, that doesn't mean that you know how to read the Bible. There is an art to it, a skill, an understanding, and this doesn't take place by accident. If you're tired of being intimidated and frustrated by your experience with the Bible, why not spend some time with us and learn how to use it? Like a good workout plan is needed at the gym to maximize our gains, so too do we as Christians need a plan to sharpen our Bible study skills. Well, welcome to the show that loves doubters here on Christianity Still Makes Sense. We are making sense of the doubts that can deconstruct our Christian faith with near apostate, now pastor and apologist, Dr. Bobby Conway. I'm your host, Tim Hall. Well, Bobby, as we begin, share with us some of your thoughts that excite you about this approach that we tackle in this three-part series. Well,
1: I can picture people that are listening and they have a Bible. They might have several of them, but they don't know how to study it. In fact, they're in a mixy relationship with the Bible, perhaps like the person that went to the gym that you alluded to, and they walk in and they don't know how to handle the equipment. They might be overwhelmed by all the different machines that are in a gym and feeling out of shape and not really knowing where to begin. Struggling and perhaps even throwing in the towel and leaving the gym. I think when people approach the scriptures, uh, you know, there is a lot of territory in the Bible, lots of different types of genres. And people who want to do some spiritual exercise to get in spiritual shape, they show up at the Bible like the person at a gym. And if they've never been trained how to work out or if they've never been trained how to study their Bible, then no wonder they're gonna be frustrated. And not only that, when you go to a gym and you don't have proper form, you don't know how to use the weights, well, you can injure yourself. Similarly, when it comes to the Bible, uh, it teaches us how to develop our Christian life. But many believers have no idea how to study the Bible for themselves, and they often injure themselves. And so what I hope is like the old statement that was said, if you give a person a fish, you feed them a meal. But if you teach, a person to fish you feed that person for a lifetime so that's the goal is we want to teach people how to dig into scripture so that they could study it for themselves because if you think about it what a privilege that we have as christians before the gutenberg printing press in the 15th century the people didn't have access the way they do today to a bible now we can have several bibles different bibles and different languages it's astonishing And so this is an amazing book, and we just want to take some time to help our audience understand this one book with one message that we call the Bible.
0: Talk to us a little bit about the approach that we're going to take to help us know how to study our Bibles.
1: Sure. There are different types of Bible studies that people can embark upon. Uh, They can do a word study, a chapter study, a topical study, a book study, a character study. Uh, They could do a genre study. Uh, But what we're after here is teaching a method that will work for all of those. So if you're doing a word study, a chapter study, a topical study, this inductive study approach will be applied when you're doing any type of study in the Bible. And it's taking three words, observation, interpretation, and application, and unpacking those words for our audience to help them to arrive at a methodology for studying the Bible. Observation asks the question, uh, what do I see? Interpretation asks the question, what does it mean? An application asks the question, how does it work? Now, imagine if you went to a doctor's office, Tim, and you walked through the door and the doctor walked up and say, hey, it's great to see you, Tim, here's your prescription, but he didn't evaluate you. He didn't check your heart rate. He didn't check your blood pressure. He did not ask you any sort of diagnostic questions whatsoever. He just handed you a prescription. Well, you probably wouldn't want to take the prescription. Why? Because there's no sense in taking a prescription that's not meant to treat what's wrong with us. And if we don't know what's wrong with us, we shouldn't just take things to take things. Similarly, uh, we're often excited to get to the application stage of studying the Bible, but we first need to know uh, you know, what the passage is teaching so that we can build our applications out properly. And so that said, when I was in seminary, I had the privilege of taking uh, Bible study methods with the late, great howard hendricks and many of us students got to study under him he taught many great bible teachers through the years like chuck swindoll tony evans chip ingram andy stanley david jeremiah and many others Uh, and i had the privilege when i was at dts studying under him and one of the projects that he had you do tim that changed the way that i studied the bible is to begin our observation exercise he sent us students home and he said, I want you to go make 25 observations on Acts chapter one, verse eight. Yeah. Now, 25 observations on one verse. And so, you know, we went home as students and we made all those observations. And then we came back to school, turned in our project. And he, then he said, go home and establish 25 more observations on Acts one, Well, when we were done with this, Tim, we had done 50 observations on one verse. Well, that was invaluable for me because it taught me to slow down, to look around, to see what's all there so that I could better understand what the word of God has to say.
0: Okay. So you have developed this acrostic using the word observation. So we're going to go through each letter. We'll have a specific point. So let's dive into this acrostic beginning with O of our observation acrostic, which means observe prayerfully. So launch us Talk about that, right? (laughs) Yes.
1: So begin in prayer, observe prayerfully. I love Psalm 119, verse 18. I've prayed it hundreds of times uh, in my own time as I approach the word of God. The psalmist said, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Well, what a great way to set the posture of our heart for Bible reading. I once had a mentor, Tim, who said to me, he said, Bobby, every time you open the word of God up, you have two things to pray. First, ask God to show you where you have falsely understood his word. And second, ask him to reteach it to you. Well, that was huge for me, Tim, Uh, just to be able to think about uh, every time I go before prayer, before the Lord, before I open the Bible, I'm trying to say, God, help me to be in alignment with your word. And this can mean a lot for doubters so that they can make sure that they get themselves out of the way, because that's one of the dangers is we can show up with the Bible and we can sit as a magistrate over it and try to, you know, say what we think's should be in and what shouldn't be in and what our problems are. And that's not the way a Christian approaches the text. We give the Bible the benefit of the doubt. We give God the benefit of the doubt. We trust in him and we believe that his word is trustworthy in our lives. And that is troubling to some people. And honestly, I can understand why people are thinking, well, you've just committed intellectual suicide. And I would say, no, we have arguments for why we believe the scripture is trustworthy and provides evidence for us. But we don't just sit in that game every time we approach the Bible. Uh, we conclude that early on in our belief with Jesus that the Bible's trustworthy so that that's not always a hiccup for us every time we go to read the Bible.
0: I I think that's really important that our Bible study starts before we even open the Scripture. It it starts with this prayer. So next, you say uh, to begin seeing the big picture. Talk to us a little bit about that. So let's say you're going to read the book of Galatians.
1: You could sit down. It's only six chapters. takes you 15 minutes. You get the the landscape, and you read over it. And you're quickly going to see that the book of Galatians is a book that's helping Paul's audience understand the false gospel of the Judaizers. And the key verse is in chapter one, verse eight, if anyone comes to you preaching another gospel, let him be anathema. And so that's a strong statement that you see right there, but obviously it helps us to understand the big picture of what's taken place in that passage, Tim.
0: Okay. So, now the S, we're going to go through this quickly because we we got lots of letters to cover (laughs) and only a short period of time to do it. So, uh, the S stands for select the style of literature. Talk to us about why this is important, Bobby.
1: Sure. So, uh, we need to realize that you have the Bible. It's, you know, one book made up of 66 books, so to speak, right? Bible means book. And uh, these different books of the Bible, um, you know, come with different genres, and so you have poetic, apocalyptic, narrative, epistolary, historical, and so we want to know what kind of literature are we dealing with, right? If you're going to be a handy person, uh, you know, before you show up, you want to know, well, what what's my project? Am I working on metal? Am I working on plastics? Am I working on wood? Uh, you're going to need different tools. Uh, for working on these different products. Well, similarly, we have different interpretive tools for understanding the different genres of literature. And so it's important that we really get a handle on what kind of uh, material we're dealing with. Now, sometimes people, uh, you know, will confuse it. Like you'll have uh, the book of Job. Some will say, well, that's really not a literal story. The oldest book in the Bible, Job, it's uh, kind of a theatrical play. Uh, And so you have to be aware that you might have some of those types of objections. Is this just a theatrical play or is this a real uh, story? I think he was a historical person, but just building our awareness out in that way.
0: Well, I'll take this opportunity to remind our audience that particularly are listening as the audio only podcast or if you're listening on the radio and you're like, wow, I want to go back and write some of these down. If you're checking us out on YouTube, they'll be on the screen as we go through them. So if you're listening on audio only and you want to get these again, go check out, uh, check us out on YouTube while you're there. Subscribe, uh, you know, like this video, share it with your network. We'd really appreciate that. So the E stands for explore any commands to follow. So what does that look like, Bobby?
1: the Bible is replete with commands. Uh, The thing is, though, is every command in the Bible doesn't necessarily apply to us, right? It's Mm -hmm. been said before that all scripture was written for us, but not all scripture uh, was written to us. And so there was an audience. And so we need to keep in mind um, kind of what covenantal stage that we are in when we're reading the Bible. Are we in the old covenant? Are we in the new covenant? Are we kind of operating under, uh, you know, the Abrahamic covenant, what, what's going on as we're reading the Bible, uh, yeah. because you have different stages. And so it can help sometimes to think about different types of laws in the Bible, like dietary, um, or you can think about civil law or the moral law. Well, under a theocracy with the civil law you had, uh, with Moses and the children of Israel and, and in the wilderness, they had a different set of laws that don't apply to us not living in a theocracy. Not only that, there were certain dietary laws that were meant to paint a picture and that were applicable under the old covenant. But when Jesus came and he fulfilled the old covenant, uh, then those were eradicated, some of these dietary laws. So you can see that like in Acts chapter 10, where Peter's now permitted to eat that which was once considered unclean because, you know, the picture had been fulfilled. When it comes to the moral law, you take Leviticus 18, where it says, you know, it's an abomination for a male to lie with another male. And then some would say, oh, yeah, but then you go into Leviticus 11 and it talks about, you know, shellfish. Well, you know, we eat shellfish. Well, it's you're, you're dealing with a different kind of a law. One is a dietary law. One is a moral law. What do we see about the dietary law in the New Testament? Well, it's eradicated, Acts chapter 10. What do we see about the moral law of homosexuality in the New Testament? It's reinforced, Romans Mm -hmm. chapter 1. So that's what I mean by trying to figure out what we are obligated to obey.
0: Yeah, and I think in this observation stage, this is really important. So we're looking at what, what are commands in the text, and then later on we'll look at the interpretation and we'll look at whether or not we need to apply them. So that that's a great reminder uh, to kind of just jot those things down as you're going through the Bible study in this observation stage. So next we're going to come to the R, which stands for record any warnings given. So unpack this for us.
1: So when you're reading the Bible and you're making observations, note warnings. So, for example, we see warnings uh, immediately in the Bible. In chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God warns Adam, you can eat of any tree, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And he had all the freedom in the world, but he wanted to abuse that. So he didn't obey the warning. Uh, In Genesis 4, same thing. Uh, Cain had... You know, corruption growing in his heart and God warns him, hey, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to have you. Uh, it was a warning, but Cain went ahead and still killed his brother Abel. Uh, take Mark 13, 6, for example. Uh, you know, we know that we're not to be surprised um, by the coming of Jesus. Uh, we need to, from the standpoint that um, we shouldn't be surprised, I should say, by false messiahs are going to come saying they're jesus excuse me and i'd say we're warned in that so if you have people that are anti-christ showing up uh but they're basically saying they are the christ well we need to take heed to that and pay attention
0: well, I, I, again, I'll take this opportunity to remind our audience over at imagechurch.live, you can click on watch and you can check out Bobby preaching through that whole chapter of Mark 13 to kind of get more of that context. Again, we're, we're moving quick here. So let's go to the V. The V stands for a uh, venture to find promises proclaimed. So what does that look like, Bobby?
1: Well, there's lots of promises and sometimes those promises are universally applicable, but other times they're suspended uh, to a certain time frame. So take, for example, uh, Jeremiah 29 11 Uh, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and to give you a hope in the future Uh, and people love that verse right and I'm just abbreviating it there but they love that verse but the problem is is that is a specific promise to God's people who were going into captivity and so These people in captivity could know that after the 70 years that God knows the plans that he has for them, that he's going to bring them out. But also, what does that mean? A lot of the people that would have heard this promise of Jeremiah, they would have been too old to experience the fruit of that promise. They would have died in Babylon. So they didn't get to experience the blessing of that promise. Not only that, um, on the backside of this promise is the undercurrent of rebellion, They ended up going to Babylon because they rejected God. And so we have this prosperity, Americanized gospel sometimes that just thinks about all the hope that God has for us. But when we situate this verse in context, This is after 70 years, after much suffering, God's going to remember his land promise to bring his people back to the land after being in captivity for 70 years. That doesn't apply to us individually today. There are other verses that do, but that one doesn't. So how would we apply that verse in our own context? Well, I think you could say something like the church is going to expand and ultimately its mission is going to be fulfilled, but there's going to be a lot of challenge between now and when the ultimate church is finally built. Uh, we're going to go through some tough times, but we can trust in his promises, but it's not talking about the church. We can just apply it to the church in that kind of a way.
0: And I can imagine the person that's deconstructing, uh, doubting their faith in this moment, recording and and observing some of those promises can be really helpful that we maybe have started to doubt that God will keep his promises or that he has even made promises. So I think it's really helpful for us to pay close attention to those promises, particularly in in the doubting stage or the deconstructing stage of our faith as we're going through this Bible study. Number nine here. uh, So here's an important one. The A states that we are to ask and answer questions of the text so what's going on here
1: well this is where we get into the five interrogative friends right and our h right who what why where when how are critical you know and when we ask that you know who's it talking about what's it talking about why is it talking about this where is it, the context situated uh when did this happen Uh, how does this passage apply to me today? So these are some great questions. People could take like Proverbs chapter 23 and verses 30 to 35, and they could just do a little application project. This talks about alcohol and the drunkard, and you could just run those questions, right? The Y or the five W's and the H through that grid of those verses and the observations will be
0: very helpful. Okay. So let's move on to the T. So the T is target key people in places. Yes. Uh,
1: that's right, Tim. So we want to get ourselves situated when we're reading the Bible. If you're reading the book of Jonah, uh, we realize that the word of the Lord comes to him. Uh, but what does he do? He runs to Joppa and God wanted him to go to Nineveh. And so by understanding, um, you know, that Jonah's a key person, he's the prophet, but he goes the exact opposite direction that God wants him to go. Now, isn't that just like us? And when I look at the book of Jonah, one of the things that's fascinating is everything in the book of Jonah obeys God, except Jonah the prophet, from the wind that blows on the sea, to the sailors that repent, to the Ninevites, to the worm, to the tree that grows up for shade over his head, to the giant fish that captures him. Everything is obeying God except this reluctant prophet. And so I think we want to figure out that kind of stuff, right? Uh, So the key places, Oh, okay. You got Joppa, you've got Nineveh, you've got Jonah as a prophet. And we can do that anytime we're studying a book. We want to kind of know the people, the places, uh, the things, the key events so that that will help build out our information so that we can better understand what the Bible's teaching.
0: I'm just reminded of Prof. Hendrick's you know, assignment that you explained in the beginning, 50 observations on one verse. You kind of broaden that out to you know, a whole book or a, a series of verses in, in Jonah or other places. There are so many different observations. And that leads us to our, our next one, to inspect for contrast and comparison and apparent contradiction. So d- discuss that for us.
1: Sure. So when it comes to like comparisons, take, for example, Matthew nineteen twenty four. it's harder for a rich man to, uh, or, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Yeah. <laughs> so it's easier for the largest animal like that was known in that region to fit through the eye of a needle, the smallest opening than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. So there's a comparison. Uh, And the fact is, is both are impossible apart from God. All of our salvation, by the way, is impossible apart from God. It's not like the rich person needs a greater miracle by God done on it, but they are definitely blinded by the love of money if that's become an idol in their life. So we can learn the use of comparisons. Uh, You know, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light Mm. unto my path. Psalm 119, 105. So God's word is being used like a light. What does light do? It guides us. It shows us the way it leads us out of dark, or you take apparent contradictions. There's ways to resolve those. uh, and, uh, we've talked about those on the program before, but I think it's important that we're aware of what do we do when we bump into apparent contradictions. And I would invite people to think about other videos that we've already shown on the subject matter in the past.
0: Amen to that. So for the second O that you state, we're to, or to uh, overview our discoveries in light of the context. So give us an example of that.
1: Yeah. So uh, in Proverbs 5.15, you read, hey, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Well, we know that wells were privately owned back in the uh, ancient day. Uh, and so is this talking about wells? Well, no, it's, it's talking about uh, women uh, who are married. And you should drink water from your own well, find sexual satisfaction from your own wife. Don't go and take um, your delight from another man's wife, from another well that is privately owned, that's his well. And so in other words, delight in the wife of your youth. And so that stuff can be very helpful for when we're looking at the scriptures to know the context that we're dealing with. It's not about wells, it's just use is an illustration.
0: And finally, you state the n note words that are repeated and emphasized. So, why is this so important? Well, it'll it'll let
1: you know what the theme is, what's going on. If you read the Book of Philippians, only 104 verses and four chapters, but the word joy or rejoice is used together some 16 times. If you read Psalm 150, it's amazing how many times the word praise is used there. It's obviously. Uh, the key of Psalm 150. It's about praising the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord.
0: Whew, we did it. We made it through the observation. (laughs) We We did. Fantastic. Any final parting words here in the last few minutes? Well, I'm looking forward to uh, taking on the next few words, uh,
1: interpretation and application. And basically, we're doing a Bible study uh, methods class for our church at Image Church. And we just wanted to share uh, our learnings uh, with our broader audience. So we hope that this is helpful for you.
0: Well, if you found this show helpful, but are you're left with maybe the question of apparent contradictions that we discussed earlier, well, we have a whole show on that. and You can check out episode 18 of The Unapologetic Show on our YouTube channel. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show is sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.